Thanks for listening to the GOSH podcast. GOSH stands for the Gynecologic Oncology Sharing Hub, an open space for real and evidence-based discussions on gynecologic cancers. We'll share the stories of gyne cancer patients and survivors and hear from researchers and clinicians who are working behind the scenes to improve the lives of people with gynecologic cancers. Our podcast is produced and recorded on the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. It is produced by the Gynecologic Cancer Initiative, a province-wide initiative in British Columbia with the mission to accelerate transformative research and translational practice on the prevention, detection, treatment, and survivorship of gynecologic cancers. Hi, I'm Nicole Kay. And I'm Stephanie Lamb. And you're listening to the GOSH Podcast. Welcome back to the GOSH podcast. Today, we're very excited to have a um, new guest join us today. Today, we're joined by Dr. Faria Kabir. Um, Dr. Kabir is a gynae surgeon from Pakistan. Um, Her cancer research took off from her master's of science at McGill University, studying the metastatic potential of breast cancer cells. Faria's PhD research encompassed the fields of cancer evolution and translational breast cancer research. She also obtained a real-time time look at how cancers evolve and why chemotherapies that are initially effective fail over time. Currently, Faria is a postdoctoral research fellow at OVCARE, working with Dr. Yvette Drew and Dr. David Huntsman, and her work focuses on high-grade serous ovarian cancer preclinical models, which are used to test novel combination therapies. So welcome to the podcast, Faria, um, and why don't we get started, and why don't you just tell us a little bit more about your research work? Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks for having me today. Um yeah, yeah, as you said, I'm working with Dr. David um, uh, David Huntsman and clinical oncologist Dr. Yvette Drew. And my work mainly focuses um, a very common subtype of ovarian cancer, that's high-grade serious ovarian cancer, and um, because this is um, very common and most of the patients, um, they are diagnosed and they, they come into the clinic when this the, the cancer is already very advanced. Mm-hmm. So I'm very much interested in studying in uh, on this cancer. Mm-hmm. I see, I see. What was your um what was your interest in gyne cancer? I know that your master's and your PhD work was both in breast cancer. So what kind of what was your interest in the gyne field? Right, right. There there are a couple of factors. So um, I actually graduated uh, as a medical student, like I'm a medical graduate back from Pakistan, and I worked um, as a physician. And actually, I post-graduated in gynecology and obstetrician, um, as, as an obstetrician and oh. gynecologist. So I worked as a, a gynecologist back home for a few years, oh. and I was, uh, yeah, in a clinic. So uh, in, a, in a teaching hospital too. So I was very much inclined to study um, can- and cancers in women. And um, in cancer specifically, it's kind of my personal thing because um, it's my, my my both parents, they passed away of cancer. So I was, mm-hmm. was very keen to go and do some research and do my part in cancer. Mm-hmm. So, um, and which cancer to choose was like my choice. So uh, in the beginning, I was very much inclined to go for um, 
for female cancers. And I got a chance to um, start my uh, research career in cancer, starting from breast cancer at McGill. Mm. So uh, for both for my master's and PhD, I, I worked on breast cancer and how they become resistant to chemotherapy. Because uh, from my experience, uh, my personal family experience and looking in the clinic to other patients, the main mm-hmm. problem in cancer field is the patients, they come with recurrence, patients, mm. they come with uh, drug resistance. So that was always bothering me. And I wanted to do in that field, like why cancer cells, they become resistant. Mm. And because of my, um, my interest and in my clinical practice in gynecological field, I was much more inclined. And honestly, mm. I find a very good team of overcare and GCI in BC, mm. Mm. Um, especially um, when I was doing my PhD at UBC, I found like this group um, mm. is, is having many, um, it's a very good team to work mm. with. So yeah. I plan to join um, overcare and mm. uh, gynecological cancer initiative team um, to pursue my uh, post, um, postdoctoral training and mm. do some part. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Um, earlier, you mentioned about how cancers become uh, resistant. Um, so can you can you just break that down a little bit more for our listeners? Like, what do you mean when we say that um, cancers become resistant? Okay, that's a very good question. Yeah, because uh, we always talk about resistance and many of the people, they don't know what is meant by resistance. So resistance actually, um, uh, in a very simple words, I would say like what happened when first time patient, they report to a clinic, they have to, they are diagnosed with cancer, right? Mm -hmm. And then what the clinicians, they do, they start chemotherapy or some drugs to shrink down the tumor burden. And at some point, the tumor, it goes away completely. But after some time, even the patients are taking those drugs, the tumor, it comes back. And this time, the tumors are not responding to that treatment. Mm. That is uh, even, uh, so that means the cells, they're no, no more responsive to that treatment. The cells are resistant to that drug specifically. Mm-hmm. Then we try another drug. Mm-hmm. Like uh, what's going on in the clinic is we start with the conventional first-line chemotherapies that is like for decades given uh, to the patients. But now with the new advances and technologies, we have new um, drugs that, uh, that are in the in the clinical uh, trials and all, already in clinical practice that are known as clean, uh, targeted therapy. Mm. So, but unfortunately, what happens after a certain time period, those tumors and those, those cells, they also become non-responsive to those targeted therapies. So that means when the cells or tumors, they are not responding to those treatment, the tumor, we uh, we label them as a resistant tumor. Mm. The tumors, it's still growing. They did not stop growing. They are yeah. not shrinking, both the cases. So there are two things. Either they won't, uh, they keep on growing or they are sitting, they are not growing, but they are not even shrinking. Mm. So, uh, in both cases, we call them resistant. Mm, I see. Thank you for breaking that down. That's a really kind of good basics um, for our listeners, um, just to understand a little bit more about your work. Um, So in your current work right now, you work on preclinical models. um, And I think more specifically, you do um, some work with mouse models. So I'm curious if you can talk more about what preclinical models 
are um, and how that um, how they are being used in gynae cancer research and why they're so important. Yeah. Yes, um, Stephanie, for you and other listeners, that's very important to understand like how um, do we conduct re- research and we really need very advanced and specialized models to uh, test different drugs, their combinations, um, their formulations and their doses that we cannot test in, in human directly because of ethics and because of very little side effects. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, under strict animal ethical protocols, we have now um, developed different kind of models uh, that uh, we can study in mouse. And there are other species uh, we can study, but specifically uh, what I'm studying right now are the mouse models. Mm-hmm. And um, there are many evidences say like uh, mouse models are very close to the human models, not exactly, mm-hmm. but um, they are very they, because they allow you to create uh, expert experimental designs instead uh, where you can uh, test tolerability, right? Mm. Uh, and different forms of preclinical work. So how we can make these preclinical models? They we can uh, create them from uh, by taking the patient's um, tumors and their normal cells, and we stabilize these cells and we make them quite competent in the plastic dishes. And then we take those cells and we put them in animals, either under the skin of a mouse, either in the abdomen of the mice. So um, we can they can develop to, they can let those cells to grow in them. Mm. And their model is PDX model, which is much more closer to the patient. PDX stands for patient derived xenograft model. That means we take patients' original tumor and we put them in the mouse, mm. right? And now um, I have done different testing and rather many other groups all over the world, they have tested that PDXs are very close to the patient's original tumor mm. because you are growing that patient's tumor in, in the mouse. Mm. So um, how we do that, uh, there are different routes. So, and it also depends on the type of cancer you want to study. Mm-hmm. Like some people, when they are studying brain, brain cancers, they put the tumor directly in the brain. Mm-hmm. Some people, they study breast cancer. So they put the tumor directly onto the mouse uh, breast and with the mouse breast tissues. Mm-hmm. So like I'm studying mm, high-grade serious ovarian cancer. So what I do, I do, I take patient's tumor and put in the abdomen because ovaries are inside the abdomen. Mm. This is one thing. But then you have to track because it's in the closed cavity. You have to track them. Mm. Another thing is you can put orthotopic. You can put um, the tumors under the mouse skin. So when the tumors, they grow, they, you can directly look and measure the tumor on mouse skin. Mm. And then uh, a preclinical, you can test different combinations of drugs, chemotherapy. You can, uh, once the dosing, and you can measure the tumor response directly uh, with the caliper and seeing how the tumor is responsive to, how much the tumor is responsive to the chemotherapies. And if you are trying some new targeted therapies, this is the best thing to test um, in first go before going to the patients. Mm. Why is it so important in gynae cancer research? Right, right. That, that's the thing because um, gynae cancer, most of the times they are uh, 
not very much um they are diagnosed mm -hmm. at a very little later stages right yeah so in the mouse we can uh, and the patients it's not very feasible to do the biopsy on the patients and ask them to come at a um, regular intervals it's mm. it's quite um hard so in gynecological cancers, like you are tracking the ovarian cancer or tumor. So in the mouse and preclinical models, um, you can divide and you can um, assign different time points to your experiment and you can track the tumor according to your own time period. Like if you want to study and biopsy a tumor after three weeks, you have the uh, liberty to do that in your preclinical mouse models. Mm. And you can take repeated biopsy but I'm repeating again, these are all under after a mouse and animal ethics approval. Hmm. No, we are, um, there's a full committee, Canadian committee, animal hmm. committee that allow all these experiments. They approve that and then only we perform that. Hmm. And it's very, very helpful because um, uh, then they, you can even test different doses because there is special way to convert mouse dose into human dose. Mm. We cannot test different um, new drugs when they come into the clinic. We don't know how much to give to the patients and how much side effects to um, uh, to anticipate. But mm. in, in animal models and preclinical models, you can test different doses accordingly. So mm. I feel like they are very close to the human patients and they are very um, useful to work with before mm. the clinical trial. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, no, that's a really great point. And I think just to add on to for our listeners, I think like you kind of mentioned, doing clinical trials is a really expensive, really time-consuming and costly sort of um, procedure. So this is a really great way to kind of um, test out hypotheses um, that scientists have, test out new treatments um, before they get to a stage where a lot of money needs to be put into um, building and executing clinical trials. So thank you for that explanation. Um, you kind of touched on this um, a little bit before when you were talking about what resistance means, um, but in your studies around the evolution of cancer, how exactly do these cancer cells become resistant to chemotherapy? Yes, this is a very important questions, and um, honestly, there are multiple mechanisms operating mm -hmm behind this um, resistance uh, to chemotherapy and resistance to drugs in the clinic and, and in the growing tumors. So I will just briefly and simply for my for the listeners, I would say like now we have very advanced technologies where we can um, uh, look into the DNA, we can look into the RNAs, we can look into different kinds of proteins. And uh, now we have the cutting edge technologies of doing single cell sequencing. So we can directly zoom in into each cell of the tumor, mm. which is quite amazing. And I'm so thankful to all the donors and all the, the, the patients that are giving consent to study their tumor, honestly. Um, these things are helping us a lot. Yeah. Um, so what we have done so far is to um, look into what happens like once the patient, they come into the clinic, um, 
we are we gave them uh, chemotherapy and any drugs or the treatment so every time we are um, uh, giving them the drug or the treatment or if we are not giving them even in the absence the as the tumor grows there are certain changes there are certain population of cells within the tumor that fluctuate some of the cells they grow and some of the cells they shrink right? It depends on the environment. If mm. the cells are much more fit in that environment, they will grow. Mm. And what are the causes of the fitness of these cells to grow depends on multiple factors, right? So it could be the micro environment that is much more feasible. So there is and sometimes, like uh, so far, we have uh, detected many different kind of mutations in the in the genes, right? And they are very well documented, very well known. Like, okay, this if the cells are having this type of mutation, we can target it, for example, or we cannot target it, or this will come with resistance to these these drugs. Mm. So there are certain changes uh, in the the genes, and as we go, uh, as the tumor they grow uh, further, more mutations they accumulate. And when we treat the tumors with the drugs, it becomes, uh, it advanced the, uh, there's another layer of complication. Some mm. mutations, they are lethal. They, some of the cells, they go away, but some of the cells, they will develop some more kind of mutations. And it's mm. not only the story of mutation in the DNA, in the genes, not only the mutation in the genes, but there could be expression. There could be the functional protein is disturbed. So mm -hmm. it's not only one mechanism that is operating and causing the resistance. Uh, otherwise, it could be very easy to treat. But mm -hmm. there's multiple mechanisms mm -hmm. uh, like DNA level, protein level, RNA level. Mm -hmm. And now um, there is another field of epigenetics. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I don't want to go into these more detail of these technical terms, but um, these many factors. And then patients own immune system. This is another factor that is contributing. Sometimes it's beneficial. Sometimes it helps in causing more resistance. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are multiple factors. Patients' diet, you know, mm -hmm. um, how uh, the the living style, the living environment. It it these are just additional factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. It's such a complicated topic and so many different things impacting it all at once. And I can definitely see how that it, it's not a simple or straightforward answer by any means. Um, so now I'm coming up to my very last question. I'd love to hear more about um, what sorts of projects you're working on right now in the area of high-grade serous ovarian cancer. Um, so just give us a little overview of what you're working on right now in your work. Sure. Um, so uh, first of all, I'll talk about the uh, the clinical trial that Dr. Yvette Chu will be starting soon. And we mm. are just um, in the final process of some documentations so that it is known as new cats. Mm. So, um, this is what I mentioned, like um, usually what happens in the clinic. Uh, like since decades and decades, um, what when the patients, any kind of cancer patient, when they report to the clinic, they are put to the first line of treatment that is chemotherapy, conventional chemotherapy, regardless of the cancer type. But there are certain techniques and they are cytotoxic drugs. 
and the patients they experience a lot of side effects of that mm. uh, hair loss and many many others but now this clinical trial which is i am also involved in and i will be receiving patient samples soon it's based on the the first line treatment with the targeted therapy that a non cytotoxic therapy at a first line of treatment to the patients so there has been a little clinical trial done back in um, in in uk but mm. Dr. Pedro, like uh, my mentor with whom I'm working with, she will be starting that um, trial soon. So um, if you're aware of a little bit of the BRCA mutations, so mm -hmm. we're, uh, yeah, most of the high-grade cystic cancers, um, they do have BRCA mutations. So, so far, it's well established at the targeted therapy PARP inhibitor. It's uh, It has a, a, a very good effect in uh, the tumors having BRCA mutation um, are uh, having very good response to PARP inhibitor and all the patients, they are usually put on this therapy. Mm. So what this clinical trial is going to do, they um, this PARP inhibitor will be given as a first line of treatment rather than the second line of treatment in the mm. clinic to the selected patients along with additionally um, uh, two more targeted therapy drugs. So one drug would be targeting the, the blood vessels because, you know, when the tumor or cancer, they grow, there is development of new blood vessels within the tumor. Cancer is not a one disease that we mm -hmm. always say that. It's not only the cancer cells that are problematic, but they need oxygen and nutrition to grow which mm. is provided by the blood vessels. Mm. So um, we are planning to put um, the the the, uh, the targeted drug, which will target these blood vessels, not to form them. And along with that, another drug that will uh, target the immune system, specific uh, targets on the immune system. <clears throat> so this clinical trial would be a combination of three targeted therapy, three dr drugs that will be given to uh, that are non-cytotoxic. I will emphasize again, they will not be showing those cytotoxic effects in the patient. So this, these will be given as a first-line treatment. So I'm mm -hmm. so excited for these trials and hoping mm -hmm. good results. Mm -hmm. So we will be receiving... Um, um, pre-surgical tumors like the biopsy samples and then during the treatment I will be receiving blood or acytic fluid or any any material and once the treatment is finished then if there are any residual tumor or any blood sample so I will be looking at that and I'll try to develop some PDX some uh, preclinical models or I will try to grow these tumors in mice and mm. do some translational work and see look into the DNA and RNA of those materials and to anticipate and look for how the resistant could develop towards these combination or how what are the changes at the DNA and RNA level. Mm -hmm. This is the main, main uh, project I am looking forward to. <clears throat> Other than that, because this uh, trial has uh, to be started. So, um, so far, I have tested these three drugs in preclinical model in the uh, uh, in mice. So I made six different groups of mice, six different cohorts, and I tried these drugs. And I found that as compared to other, other drugs, these three, the combination as compared to vehicle and as compared to barb inhibitor alone, the combination of these three drugs as a first line of treatment, even regardless of the BRCA status. So that's the important point because so far we are giving um, barb inhibitor olaparib only to the patients that are um, diagnosed with BRCA mutation. Mm. But 
these three what we hypothesize that regardless of the BRCA status, if we give these targeted therapy that are non-cytotoxic, the uh, tumors will respond better or with less toxicity, mm-hmm. with less side effects. And that's mm-hmm. good for the patients. And uh, we have talked to some patients actually, and they were so excited. Mm-hmm. It is non-cytotoxic and mm-hmm. we definitely um, need to change um, something that is uh, going on in the clinic for, we should try at least like, because this uh, conventional chemotherapy, the cytotoxic therapy is like for, for around 50 years going on. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's so exciting. It's, um, we always hear from patients how, how much of an impact um, the, the side effects are to their quality of life during treatment, but then also after treatment. So I think this work that uh, you and Dr. Drew are doing are, is really exciting step for, for, um, for, for this field of cancer. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, this is this. And also I am receiving right now um, patients' tumors from uh, Vancouver General Hospital mm-hmm. uh, that are uh, untreated. So I am um, I'm taking that tumor, processing them, and creating these preclinical models um, to test how much they are similar to patient's original tumor. And I am treating them um, uh, continuously and trying to make them resistant myself. So mm. if you treat that tumor repeatedly once at one stage, they will become resistant. So I'm also working on these uh, patient-derived xenografts to see what are making them resistant. And then I'm studying different mechanisms of resistance in them, looking at the DNA and RNA level at single cell level. Mm. Mm. Mm, that's really interesting. There's lots of exciting projects going on um, and such a wide variety too. like kind of, I mean, I, I know for sure your, your work is kind of much more at the molecular level, a lot of translational work, but also your involvement in the clinical trials um, and trying to be kind of really um, and like actively with the, with the administration of new treatments and um, new therapeutics is really exciting. So thank you so much for sharing um, all of your wonderful work and just for dissecting a little bit more about this topic um, to our listeners here today. I think there's a lot of, um, you know, scientific jargon that is often used um, even to patients. And I think just breaking it down today um, really kind of Uh, was able to explain things in a really easy to understand way. So thank you so much for sharing your work um, and for coming onto the podcast and um, just being part of this um, community here in BC. Thank you very much for having me, Stephanie. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the GOSH podcast. To learn more about the Gynecologic Cancer Initiative and our podcast, make sure to check out our website at gynecancerinitiative.ca.